I want to welcome you back to church in a new decade. I want to welcome you back to church in a new year. Everybody here, everybody online, everybody at our jail campus, both services there. Um, we have so much in store for you this year. I hope that you're excited and have some expectation and anticipation. I do. I think that 2020 is going to be our best year yet, but the best is yet to come as always in Christ Jesus. I want to remind you that in the family of God, no one's perfect and everybody's welcome. And this year, we're going to do some great things together. I hope you're genuinely excited. We um, have some big stuff in store. We're going to be opening our Hebron location. And a phrase that's been running through my head, and uh, I don't know if this will resonate with you, but it resonates with me, is uh, relentless for Indiana through thick and thin. And I just think we live in a society that runs from trouble. Every time there's trouble, oh, it was the wrong thing. And, you know, every time we do hard things, it's like, no, that was a terrible, it was the wrong choice. Why would you? And I'm going to quit. And if it's hard, I'm out of here. But in Christ, we can be relentless through thick and thin because we have a God who won, who didn't give up on us. He was relentless with us. And I just want us to be a family of people that says, in good times and bad times, we're relentless through thick and thin. I'm excited about this. Um, we had an incredible holiday. I don't know if you joined us, but um, our Christmas Eve services were awesome. The 5 p.m. service was actually the biggest service we've ever had in our church's history. Um, we were on the brink of having to ask people to leave the building because of fire issues, fire code issues, not fire issues. We're not in Australia. Pray for them right now for real. It's a big deal. But um, it was just an awesome set of services. And uh, so many of you shared with me it was your favorite service that we've ever done here. And uh, it was just really cool to feel God's presence amongst us. And I don't know um, if, if you guys felt it, but I think it was one of the most like palpably spiritually charged services we've ever had. And I want to um, just acknowledge that that was God working among us. And I think it's part of why gathering together physically is so important. I mean, God teaches us that we're to gather together. You know, some people say, well, I can just, you know, believe at home. I don't need to go to a building to believe in God. And yet that's not what God teaches us. And I love gathering together. If you're watching online, that's great. I'm glad you're there. But I'd ask you to consider joining a physical location at our church or another church that's near you. I think it's so important that we gather together. Now, Zachary preached last week, and uh, he gave a great message. Can we say a round of applause for Zachary? He did a really good job with the door and the magic lights. Man, that was great. But uh, I'm so thankful for him. At this point in his career, he could write a ticket to anywhere he wants to go, and someday he will be a great senior pastor. He's destined for it, but I'm so glad that we still have two and a half years or more with him. Emphasis on or more, Zachary. Just remember that, okay? You can, if you want, doors open. That's all I'm saying, right? But uh, get your kids to Next Gen. It restarts this week in Hebron and Wheatfield on Tuesday and Wednesday night, respectively, and uh, man, it's such a special program. I get texts from pastors around the country just saying when they watch us on social media, like, man, how do you get a youth ministry like that? And I'm like, God blessed us with a great youth director. But uh, this last weekend, my family and I went back to Minnesota to see the in-laws, to see the in-laws, which is always great. I mean, I love them so much, honey. It's so good. I mean, it's so great. And uh, my son got to see snow, real snow, for the first time. He went sledding. He's like, this is amazing. Why don't we live here? And I'm like, because Indiana's way better, obviously. But uh, we had an awesome time with um, a lot of the family. And then, you know, there's always some of the family. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of the family is great. But then there was good old family drama. And I just say that because I want you to know our family's not perfect, not at all. And, uh, you know, we got to deal with, you know, offense and silly things. And, you know, it makes me happy is to be a part of a community of people that values forgiveness. And 2020 is um, definitely a society that doesn't forgive. And I think as the teachings of Jesus recede, like, you know, they messed up 30 years ago and they should resign. And if somebody screws up, they're unacceptable and, you know, unfit and whatever. But um, I love that in a community of Jesus, we forgive one another. You know, and I'm just so grateful to be a part of you guys who give me grace when I screw up and I give you grace. And it's just, it's a really good family to be a part of. I'm thankful for it. Today, we're kicking off a brand new series called Finding You. 
This is a five-week series. It's going to use a process called the Enneagram. And while its modern form is about 50 years old, it can trace, some people say, its roots back to 1,600 years ago to ancient Christian priests in the 4th century, which is kind of cool. Um, There are a number of reasons why we're doing this, but the big one is I think God tells us that understanding the unique way he created each of us really matters. It's really important. And specifically, knowing the wiring and gift set that he gave to us and learning how that that fits into the greater um, mechanism of the church is really, really important. And I think this series is a part of what God calls us to learn and understand, and I think it's going to teach you how to live better and love people better. And uh, listen, the schedule of the series looks like this. This week, I'm going to lay a foundation um, uh, of why knowing yourself matters. That's all we're doing this week, just a foundation explaining why the Enneagram matters. And then the next three weeks, I'm going to lay out the nine different personality types of the Enneagram, three per week if you can do math, which I can barely do. And then the final week, I'm going to show you how the different types interact with each other. And uh, this is probably the most to-be-continued series I've ever done. Every week really matters, not just to get information, but I think it's going to transform your life and relationships. And specifically, I want to speak to people, even if you're not a Christian, if you have hurting relationships in your life, if you're on the brink of walking out of um, a family relationship or a marriage or you got an issue with some kids that you just don't understand and can't, and there's, I, I believe that this series has the potential to bring healing to those things. So I want to challenge you to come to all the weeks. Don't just come to the week that speaks to your personality type. I would challenge you to come and learn about all the people that God's placed in your life. You can take a test. It'll help you determine your personality type at www.first.church slash test. But I will say, um, most Enneagram experts agree that a test is not what determines your type. You're going to know your type when um, you hear about it. You know, I knew I was an Enneagram type 8. I didn't need to take a test to know that. In fact, everybody around me who knows the Enneagram is like, that guy is so 8. He is like super Enneagram type 8, right? And it's bad. It's good. It's whatever. But uh, you know what was great about it? is when I learned about my type, I didn't just say, oh yeah, that's who I am. I saw reasons behind why I acted the way I acted that I'd never seen before. And it just illuminated an understanding of my strengths and weaknesses that was really helpful and I found to be really healing. This week, like I said, is just an intro. I'm only going to talk about why it matters this week. I'm not even going to get into the Enneagram this week. So please, please, please come back in future weeks. There are lots of personality tests. This one has become the most popular at the moment. We've always used personality tests for hiring here at the church, which is, I think, a part of why we have a great staff. But this system in particular, I found unusually insightful and unusually illuminating for understanding the way that God made us. It's caused me to feel really understood. And I think it might give you the ability to love God more, to love others more, to learn to walk in your strengths, and to learn how to overcome your weaknesses. Um, This week... Really simple message. The last several weeks when I've been preaching, I haven't had any points to my messages. And somebody very kindly told me, John, you've had some pointless messages recently. And I said, that's not nice. But anyway, this week I do have points. I have four points on why the Enneagram matters. The key passage is going to come from a letter that Paul wrote to some friends in the city of Corinth. And I like the city of Corinth because it's kind of like the church there is sort of like the Jerry Springer of churches, right? They got some struggles. And it makes me feel good with my struggles in my life. And uh, recently I've been using a paper Bible. Um, that a friend of mine gave to me that's really great. I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, But I would just challenge you, whatever kind of Bible you have, I would challenge you to make a Bible yours. Whether that's a Bible on your phone, you use YouVersion Bible app, like mark it up, use it, whether it's um, a Bible that's paper, analog, whatever. But I just want our church to be in the practice of actually getting into God's Word a little bit, okay? So um, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18, going all the way through verse 26. We're going to go through it verse by verse. But um, it starts off saying, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. 
Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. What Paul is doing right here is he's describing how all the Christians in the world form one big body, one big organization, one big organism together. And uh, the way that I picture it is like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I'm sure all of you watched this incredible show that is on the same level as Shakespeare. But they had a robot that they would all transform into called the Megazord, which is just awesome. And uh, the Megazord was made up of the Blue Ranger for this leg, the Yellow Ranger for that leg, and then the Red Ranger in the middle, and then the Black Ranger for the arms, right? And you can, you can see it all here. Now, this is the way that Christians are, okay? We all come together, and each Christian forms a different part of the body. And when we come together with our powers combined, no, um, we, uh, we form the church, right? That's the way that we build God's kingdom. The Christian movement, literally, the way that God works on earth is through all Christians together. And this is why I think Enneagram is so important, because we have to understand that we're one giant body made up of many parts, all working together in a special orchestrated way to accomplish one big goal. If you say, oh, I don't need to come to a building to believe in God, John. I can just, I can just do it from my own house. I would say, you're missing out. You're missing out on the literal mission of God. We come together. We gather together. This is why we have a core value. You can't do life alone, right? We are called to do this thing together. We move together as one organism. Like, this is a big deal. And we come together on Sundays in a lot of ways to coordinate our movement as one big body. The church, Christians, if we don't work together, we fail. And I think this is a big reason why the church in America is struggling right now. This is why I want to do this series at this point. This series matters because we got to learn to work together, especially because we're going to Hebron this fall. We're ready at the jail. We have four services here. Learning to function together as a body of believers and our own giftedness is really important. I think it would be unhelpful for one part of the body to look at the other and try to be that other part. Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. I know that didn't make sense, but it's going to make sense in a minute, okay? My wife is an amazing cook. She really actually is a phenomenal cook, like to the point where whenever we go out to eat, I'm always like, ah. Not as good as what Kristen makes, right? It's really good. Kristen sometimes appreciates it because then she doesn't have to cook a meal. But she makes a lot of meals a week. Most nights she makes a meal. And uh, we love having people over in part because she loves cooking. And uh, it's a surefire gift for me to get her if I get her something cooking, right? Cooking related. She has a big kitchen. It's like bursting at the brim with cooking stuff. I don't even know what it all does, but whatever. I think she uses it all. It all tastes good when it's done. But two things that she has, because we're American, is uh, number one, a cheese grater, and number two, a soup scoop, right? Cheese grater and, uh, and, and soup scoop. And, you know, I didn't know how important cheese was to me. Is this what this is, soup scoop, right? Soup scooper, whatever, it's fine. Big Dipper, is that what this is? That's great. Everybody's saying ladle. I know it's a ladle, you guys, but I'm going to call it a soup scoop. Can you imagine, can you imagine if one day the cheese grater helped Kristen make a great meal, you know, and she grated the cheese, and then she, she set it down by the sink, right? Oh, almost lost my Yeti. She set it down by the sink, and uh, can you imagine if the cheese grater then was watching the ladle scoop the soup, and it started getting jealous? You know what I mean? Because everybody's passing the ladle around. They're all holding it. It's like, I put in all this work over here, and nobody even remembers what I did, and, and the ladle just gets to be a part of it, and everybody's holding it. Oh, pass me the ladle. Pass me the soup scoop. Pass me this thing right here. I want to use it, right? Everybody's getting jealous. Everybody. So this is, this is what happens, is it gets so jealous, it's like, you know what? I can be a great soup scoop. I know that I can do this, you know, so it's like, right, so it starts working out, and uh, it's like, I'm going to do this, so it works out, it's, it's it, like for, for months, you know, putting on sweatsuit, and I, the tiger, I'm not going to sing all the songs from Rocky, really terrible, but you know what I mean, right, and then eventually, it's like, all right, let's do it, and it's like, this is horrible, Right? It's going to be a Why? Because it's full of holes. It wasn't made to scoop the soup, but it's trying. And it's like, I just want to do this. And what's going to happen to the cheese grater if it tries to scoop the soup? It's going to feel terrible. 
It's going to just feel awful. It's going to feel like a failure. It's going to be disappointed. It's going to be like, I can't do anything good in life. And it's true, it can't really scoop soup well. I mean, it could grade cheese well, but, but it doesn't want to do that. Because it it's, it's got envy. It wants to be like the other thing. Or imagine if the soup ladle is like, I just see the way that Kristen uses that grater. And I wish I could be close to Kristen like that. She's so fun to talk to. And it's just, she's so nice and sweet. And maybe, you know, I want to be a part of creating something once in a while. You know, maybe I don't want to just be a part of the finished product. I have creativity, and I would like to use some of the creativity to help make something for once. You know, everybody just passes me around. I don't even get to be a part of doing something original, right, like an Enneagram type four. So it starts working out. Right? So then eventually it starts grading the cheese. Like, this is my big moment. Chris is going to use me to grade. And it's just a failure. It's just a disaster. Like, this thing can't even. This is the worst. And it feels like a total failure, too, because, you know, obviously it's not going to be good at grading cheese because it was made to scoop the soup. You know, here's the thing it'll be a letdown for both the cheese grater and the soup scooper, if they try to beat each other. Because no matter how hard they practice, a soup scoop is never going to be good at grating cheese. And a cheese grater is never going to be good at scooping the soup because they were made to do different things. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. The second reason the Enneagram matters is we have to learn to be ourselves, not someone else. And this is such a big deal. This really matters. I mean, Paul says in verse 21, he says, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can never say to the feet, I don't need you. We need every kitchen utensil to make a masterpiece. We need every part of the body to accomplish God's call for us on earth. And I think a lot of times what happens is we get part envy. Have you ever had part envy? I remember when I was going to high school, um, grades were really important in my family. Important, not, not surprising. I mean, look at me, right? Obviously, grades matter to Asian families. And uh, my brother, um, when he was in sixth grade, my brother is, his name is Enoch. I know, my name's John. His name is Enoch. Talk to my parents. I don't know why they did it that way. But um, anyway, uh, my brother, he, he is good at everything, right? He's good at athletics. He's good socially. He's a super talented musician. And he happens to also be really good at everything in school. And uh, he was really good at math. So good, in fact, that in sixth grade, he took every single math class, including the gifted eighth grade math class that they had to offer. So then the, the school said, we got to do something for this kid. He's so gifted. So they sent him over to the high school and he would walk over to the high school during his math class and he would take high school math, right? And he got through a bunch. Of, I mean, he was super, super gifted. He was so good. I, I admired him. I thought, man, he's so talented. He's, I was like a cheese grater looking at a soup scooper. And I thought, and you can guess where the story is going to go. Listen, I was terrible at math. Terrible, terrible at math. And I remember my freshman year, we had block scheduling. And uh, in the summer before my freshman year, I was in my bedroom signing up for classes, signing up for classes, right, filling out my schedule. And uh, I get done, and I bring it to my dad, and I just want him to check it out. And uh, I decided I was going to sign up for two math classes, geometry and pre-calc. You could take one in the fall and one in the spring. I was going to do both. I thought, if I do this four years in a row, I will be four years ahead in math, and I'll be kind of like Enoch, and won't that be sweet? My dad looked at the schedule, and he's like, John, are you sure you want to do that? Because here's the thing. Math was hard for me. It was also hard for my dad who had to tutor me. You know what I mean? It was no fun for him. So anyway, he said, why are you doing that? I said, because I want to get ahead like Enoch. He said, John, you barely passed algebra. To give you some perspective, I got the worst grade in our family's history in algebra. I got a B minus, which might as well have been failing for my family. It was a really big deal. My dad said, that's basically an F. You need to retake it, right? So he talked me out of taking two math classes into, and into retaking algebra, which was good because the only reason I passed it is because Hills work hard. We never give up and we're gritty, right? So I did work super hard, but I barely got a B minus trying as hard as I could. Second time through, it was a lot better. I understood it a lot better. But I remember my dad sat down with me. He just said, John, you need to learn that you're not Enoch. And I love you, and you have so many talents, but you are not Enoch. You have different skills. He said, I want you to stop trying to be him 
And then this is so seminal, so critical. He said to me, and I still remember it to this day, 20 or whatever years later, he said, John, you need to start discovering who you are. And notice, he didn't say you need to be you. My dad was painfully aware that I didn't know who being me was. I didn't know. He said, you have to go on a process, on a journey to discover who you are. I think so many of us here today, people say, well, you need to be you. It's like, I don't even know who me is. And that's part of what the Enneagram is supposed to do. It's a tool that's going to help you discover who you are. Because we got to learn to be ourselves, not someone else. In that moment, I had no idea who I was. I was just trying to be my brother. And that year, he talked me into um, dropping that second math class, retaking that other one. And uh, he talked me into taking some electives. And one of the electives he recommended I take, he said, John, why don't you try a speech class? I wasn't a Christian yet. I didn't want to be a pastor. But he saw some talents in me that I didn't see in myself. But as my loving father who hated speeches, hated public speaking, he just thought, man, I think my son might have a, a talent that I'd like to see developed. Some say that I'm a gifted speaker. Um, listen, I've always had a natural knack for speaking, but the best gifts require assembly. And I think it is, it is discouraging for someone to assume that people who are talented at things like have always been able to do that. I was a terrible public speaker, speaker when I started. You're seeing decades of assembly at this point. It didn't happen right away. It took a lot of work because even our greatest gifts require development, even if we're naturals. My dad recognized that I was a cheese grater trying to be a soup scoop. And most of my childhood was spent that way. Like, looking back, for years, that was all I did. I just tried to do what my big brother did. P.S., I'm bigger than he is now. Just want to say that. Anyway, um, looking back, I always tried to do what my older brother was doing because it was the only thing I thought I could be. Sometimes I wonder what I would have been had I stayed on that path, had my dad never given me the correction that he did. I think I would have been a mediocre, subpar, failing engineer. I would have been like a cheese grater trying to scoop the soup. I would have hated my job. I would have been failing at things. I just thank God that he used my dad to help me uncover a natural wiring that I had. My dad told me that God makes every person different, and he literally opened up his Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 18, and he had me read it. I remember it. And I think it was so cool, because at the time, I didn't believe in God, and I thought the Bible was a collection of these old books that aren't relevant to our lives. And I just remember reading that, and I thought, wow, that really makes sense. It's one of the first times I read the Bible, and I thought, this can speak to my life today. Like, this is important. This matters. And I read it with him, and then my dad said, John, everybody is wired in a specific way to be a part of God's kingdom and God's work on earth. You're all a part of one body. And he said, listen, John, God made Enoch a brain, and he made you a mouth, sometimes a, a really big mouth, but he made you a mouth. And God wants to harness that, and he wants you to use it for his kingdom and for his glory, right? Not to hurt people, but to build people up maybe someday. I just wonder how many people here are making the same mistake that I was making. I wonder if there's somebody here who never had that conversation with their father, and as a kid, they said, oh, I'm going to be like this other person. If you spent your whole life as a cheese grater trying to be a soup scooper, I think this series is so important for you. And I'm not saying that I gave up on math. I still learn math, right? Because we still have to overcome our weaknesses. We just need to recognize that sometimes we have other talents and other strengths in the same way. We need to know our strengths and our weaknesses. And I think this has become an epidemic problem in 2020. I mean, this is a big deal because our key method of self-discovery right now in American society is Instagram and social media, isn't it? We literally are a direct parallel to the soup scoop cheese grater analogy. That's what we do because our scoreboard is comparison. I think so many of us are like soup scoops trying to look like cheese graters. We're disappointed. We're yearning to be something we were never made to be. And Paul says he's given us all different gifts, but I think so many of us have never taken the time to discover those gifts. And especially young people today. 
I think we have spent almost zero time learning about ourselves and like 100% of our time looking at like Logan Paul or Ninja. That's a great example of who we can. It's like, come on, what are you, seriously? That's your role model? That's who you want to be, a professional video game player? Dad, I can make so much money if I do this and you don't even know and, blah, 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 and Ninja's rich and I'll be rich too. Stop, stop, right? Paul says we've all been given different gifts and I think it is a silly and tragic waste when we try to be someone in something else. This is part of what I love about the Enneagram. It's all about discovering who you are by actually examining yourself rather than looking at what others are and trying to become that. Paul goes on in verse 22. He says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. He's actually talking about private parts right here. And if I was in sixth grade, I'd giggle. But anyway, he says, so we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. Paul says very clear, clearly here, all the parts are important. I think this is one of the big issues that we have in our day and age, is we really only value a few parts. I think there's a lot of us that say, well, if I'm not seen, I'm not important. And Paul says that's not true at all. That's not true. The parts that are unseen in the body of Christ are oftentimes the most important. And I think a lot of us, we really struggle with this envy. We look at these other people and we're envious of them. I hear a lot of people say, man, I wish I was doing what you're doing, making a difference for God's kingdom. And that always breaks my heart when I hear people say that. You know, I am a mouth for the body of Christ. I know that. But, but there are lots of great preachers with great mouths who preach better, speak better, lead better, are better pastors, smarter, better looking than I am, right? But the only reason that I get to do what I do is because we have a great body of believers behind me at this church, right? We look good because there's a great body behind the mouthpiece. Not talking about my body. I mean, my wife might want to talk about my body, but, but everybody else, no. Okay, kids ministry is like the womb of the church. Nobody sees the womb of the church, and yet um, it's critical for us to give birth to the next generation of believers. We need it. The families that tithe here, to me, you're like the intestines. How often do you think about your intestines? Only when you're sick, right? Then you think about them like 20, 30 times a day. It's like a big deal. It's like, oh my goodness, right? And you're tired and you're hurting and you're like, the intestines are super important. But when they're functioning great, you don't think about them. What do intestines do? They give you energy so that you can function. I'm so thankful for the families that sacrificially give here, right? So that we can function as a church. And if we didn't have that, if our intestines weren't working right, you know what? We would talk about it all the time because we wouldn't be able to do anything without it. They're critical. The hundreds of volunteers, 700 volunteers a month who serve here and work all week and make time to serve you and sort mailers and, you know, volunteer and welcome and greeting team. It's all part of the body. This church is great because we have a great party and every part matters, especially those you can't see. Paul says the ones you can't see are the ones that are treated by God with the most honor. And listen, I think from the perspective of heaven, this is a big deal. The key story of this church is not going to be, oh, there was a great pastor, you know, who spoke really fast, and there was a great staff that was awesome, and it was just the best ever. And No, 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 that's not going to be the story of our church. The story of our church is going to be that lady in kids' ministry from the perspective of heaven who served for 22 years every single weekend. It's going to be that intergenerational, year after year, faithful junior high next-gen kids leader who's just been there for years and years. And there's lots of people like, I'm so cool. I'm going to do next-gen for like, you know, one season and they're out, you know. But that person who just fake, you know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of thing I think from the perspective of heaven, the unseen things are the ones we'll understand. Like, wow, look at the difference they made. I thank God that Zachary has chosen this season to work with students in the womb of our church. He could have been a mouthpiece somewhere, but God is using him here. And he could get part envy but he is faithful and he has an unusual gift that suits him especially well in this season of his life to connect with students really really well enneagram matters because it teaches us to be ourselves and not someone else i think that there's so many of us we're just struggling comparing ourselves to other people and not being ourselves 
There's so much discontentment within that. The third reason I think Enneagram matters is um, we have to understand that others are not like us. And uh, this is kind of a big deal. I have a tendency to presume that everybody is just like me. You know what I mean? Like the way that we think. I love conflict. I love running into the heart of conflict and, and, and solving the problem specifically. I'm not like a fighter. I just I want to make peace. I want to find unity by going to the heart of the conflict. I can't sweep anything under the rug. And, uh, you know, I just assume that everybody else is that way. I see the world black and white. I don't shy away from conflict. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish a big goal. I never give up. I never quit. I don't shy away from things. And at dinner this Christmas, to give you an example of my personality, I had a close family member of mine, and I looked at him, and I said, I want you to tell me how you voted and why you voted that way. And he's like, I don't want to talk about this. And I just started like, how can you be so weak that you wouldn't have this conversation? I was baffled that this person didn't want to have a good old political argument with me. Like, what's wrong with you, right? And my wife, my wife and I don't see eye to eye sometimes. And she's like, John, after the fact, she's like, John, could you not see that that person wanted to, like, escape with everything? They were, like, on fire with a bear chasing them. Why, why did you just keep doing that? Why didn't you, like, back off? It was obvious. I was like, it wasn't obvious to me. She's like, how could it not be? Now, my wife is an Enneagram type, too, right? And so she is very clearly able to see everybody else's needs before they see them. She's super socially perceptive. That's just the way that she's wired. And she has the assumption that I'm going to be able to see the world that way. But guess what? Not everybody is like each other. In fact, eight out of nine people are going to think and see differently than you do. And what I've discovered is that we both expect each other to act and think like we do. I think all people naturally have this expectation. The problem is it's just not rooted in reality. Most people don't think the way that you do. Most of the things that you're frustrated that other people are not doing may not be natural to them, even though they're natural to you. I think that personality tests in general, but the Enneagram in particular, has been the single greatest tool that Kristen and I have experienced in this season of our life in helping us have a better marriage. I want you to understand, this has transformed the way that I see her. I see her. I understand her and her proclivities and weakness and fears and strengths on a level that I never have before. And she sees me and understands me and all the things that drive me on a level that we never have before. It's been so, so good. The Enneagram is simple because there's nine easy-to-remember personality types that focus on our struggles and sins, our strengths and gifts, and our core drivers and fears. Understanding these things about myself and my wife and the people in my life has been transformational for the way I lead our staff, my children, our church, and my wife. It's all totally different because of this. And uh, I think you're going to learn to see that others are different, and you're going to learn to bridge those differences effectively. And that's why I want you to come back to all the weeks of this. Now, the final reason I think Enneagram matters is we got body issues. Okay, I'm not going to start an R. Kelly song or anything right here. Um, we just, we got body issues. My son, my son, was learning to dress himself the other day. He's four years old. Don't judge me. He's still learning to dress himself. But uh, anyway, um, the other day, I was watching him try to pull a shirt over his head, right? I told him, you got to dress yourself. And he was sitting there with his arms stuck like this in the, in the holes, like his elbow bent this way. And um, obviously, the shirt became like a straitjacket. And because I'm a loving father, I was like, I'm not going to help you. You know, you got to figure this out. And he's like, Daddy, will help me. Daddy, you must help me now. Right? I'm like, that's great. Perfect. Just like me. Might be an eight as well. But he's screaming rolling around on the floor and I'm like no and eventually he gives up and he's still sitting there I'm like how long though is it going to take him to realize I'm not going to help him eventually he figures it out he gets his arms out you know probably took him not that long just 10 minutes or whatever but listen in the same way that a child has to learn how to use its body I think all churches need how to need to learn how to use their body right the arms and legs and mouth all need to learn how to work together we need to get coordinated and I think the body of Christ specifically in America is um Less like a child learning to use its body and more like somebody who experienced medical trauma that's back in physical therapy, 
right? We had some apostasy, we had some apostates, some heresy, some, 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 some false teaching that we had to deal with for a long time, and I think we dealt with it, but now we're in physical therapy learning how to do the basic stuff again, right? And the big issue with the church in America right now is I don't think, I think we're almost on disability at the moment because we're not able to do things super well, we're not able to brush our teeth, we're not able to get dressed, we're not, much less do the work of the kingdom of God. And right now, this series is all about us as a church going through some physical therapy, learning how to do the work of God together as one body. That's what I want for us. Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I've loved you. You should also love each other. Your love for one another. The way that you work as one team, the way that, that, that you guys work together as a body laying down your lives for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Right, how do we know that somebody's a Christian? What is the mark of God's movement in the world? The way that we love one another, the way that we're one body. It's so interesting to see Jesus kind of lay the foundation for Paul's teaching that would come later in 1 Corinthians. But listen, if we're taking advantage of each other, if we're competing with each other constantly, it's like the right foot tripping the left foot to get ahead. Can you imagine if your feet had their own personalities? Some of you, it's like, well, my feet do. I'm kind of klutzy. But if your right foot was like, I want to get in front, and then it tripped your left foot so you fell down, I mean, that would be very counterproductive. And yet I very much feel like, in a lot of ways, this is what the church has done. It's one of the big issues with the modern church. This is why the series is important. The church and Christians have spent so much time arguing with each other and so little time learning to work as a coordinated body. And don't get me wrong. The church has had to address a lot of serious issues, but there's a big difference between fighting cancer and going through therapy to learn how to use your body again. I think we're missing out on our potential because we're tripping ourselves and jealous of ourselves. We got body issues that we got to work through. My children... <clears throat> My children, uh, I, in a lot of senses, I think my family is one body. I want my family, my kids, to learn to work together. And uh, listen, I'm about to share with you a parenting practice that might not be the best idea. I'm not telling you to do this. It's just something I'm kind of experimenting with my kids. My kids are like my home little experiment. When they grow up, they'll be in counseling and talk about me, and that's fine. But um, I have four kids, and one thing that I'm doing right now is uh, I like to get one gift for one of my children, right? And I want all the other children to see one kid get that one gift, and I want to train my children to rejoice for that child getting something. Right, So, for instance, I'll come home with a gift for Hermione, and I want her sister Isabel to say, I'm so glad that you got that, because I know that later is longer, and I want my daughters to grow up loving each other and rejoicing with each other rather than competing with each other. I mean, right now, Isabel falls to the ground screaming, it's not fair, and you don't love me, and whatever. But we're going to get over that, okay? We're going to get over that. we got to teach them, because I really want them to learn, right? Because as their father, I don't want Isabel her whole life to be like, I hope Hermione's successful, just not as successful as I am. Right? I want Hermione to be able to look at Isabel and say, I hope she has a great marriage, you know, and even if it's better than mine, that's okay. That is my desire for my kids. I want them to love one another, to lift each other up. And listen, as their father, that's natural, right? That's what I want. Our Heavenly Father is the same way. He wants us for the church. And I do this too. This is, I'm ashamed to admit this, but my brother and his wife, uh, you know, super talented, like I said, um, but my brother and his wife are doing really well. Um, and uh, they own some properties. And he works really hard. It's nothing was handed to him or anything. He works super hard, and he's a great businessman and hard worker. He's calm. He keeps a lot of plates spinning. But the market that he owns these properties in, um, some of his properties, have been doing really well. And, and I frequently used to find myself envying him, envying him, you know. But why? We're family. We're one team. We're one dream. I love him. You know what? Why wouldn't I want him to get filthy rich? That's great. You know, maybe he'll pay for some vacations sometimes, right? His success doesn't hurt me you're watching Enoch, maybe he'll pay for some vacation sometimes, right? But anyway, <laughs> recently, I've just found that his success brings me joy because we're one team. We're one body. I've just begun to realize like we're in this together. I'm not competing with him because that's what love does, right? And when you're part of one, one organism, I mean, that's what you'd want. I've noticed this in the body of Christ. This is a big deal. 
I think we have body issues. And uh, I think that in the church, there's a tendency to get, like, jealous of each other. You know, somebody has, like, a powerful God story in their life. Old Christian word for this used to be testimony, right? The story of God working. Can I get a testimony? Um, it's a story of God working in somebody's life. And if somebody has, like, this powerful story of, like, you know, I used to be, you know, addicted and in jail and other and God's done all this stuff for me. And there's just a tendency for us to get jealous, I feel like, sometimes. But literally, we're not just one family. We're one body serving God. Uh, the tasks of, God's, of God are accomplished through us. So their healing, their story... Their testimony, their joy is our healing, our story, our joy, and our testimony. We do this with jealousy of other people in the church, I think, a lot. Like, you know, have you ever met somebody who's, like, really powerfully able to lead others to Christ? They just do it all the time, right? They're this effective evangelist. Sometimes as a kid, I'd go and I'd hear this speaker come to our church and, like, I was on the train and I led someone to Christ. And I was at lunch and I led someone to Christ. And I was, you know, on my way to the bathroom and I led someone to Christ. And it's like, wow, that's great. That's amazing. And I had this tendency... And I'm really ashamed to admit this. This is a nasty, sinful part of me because we're one body. But I would get jealous. And I would tend to create this narrative in my mind that would devalue what they're doing. Isn't that bad? Isn't that gross? But this is what we do, right? We're one team, one dream. But there's a part of me that's, well, it's just because of his position. That's why he's able to do that. It's just because of where he's at in life, right? I mean, it's just because she's a stay-at-home mom. She has time to meet with all these ladies. It's not because, you know what I mean? And it's just that's the way it is. And it's not really that real. I mean, there's no way that he could possibly meet with and disciple all those disciples. They're just a mile wide and an inch deep. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, that's what we do. We just create a narrative that undermines the work of God in our own body. It's the right foot tripping the left foot. we got issues. We do this with friendship. Have you ever done this? You know, I mean, Jesus says one of the gifts of, 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 of being a Christian is, um, is, is, is friendship, community. I mean, Christians have by far more close relationships than any other demographic in American society, which is really cool. Like, it's great. That's, that is an actual benefit. But when I see somebody, like, actually living in that, you know, where I have, like, uh, a couple of friends who are really getting close, there's a part of me that gets jealous. And it's like, why can't I be happy for them? Their wealth, their joy is my joy. I shouldn't be jealous of them, right? Or we do this with other churches. This is when one church starts succeeding in town, what do we do? We run off our mouths saying, oh, they're just a mile wide and an inch deep. They just got tons of money, that church over there. They're just stealing people from other churches, right? They're not doing expository verse-by-verse messages like Pastor John does a lot of the time, right? Listen, Jesus did topical messages. Paul did topical messages. You don't got to do expository verse-by-verse messages. Listen, their success is our success because we're one body, don't be a cheese grater trying to be a soup scoop. Don't compete. We love one another. We got body issues. We got to understand we work together. We're in this together. Verse 25 says, this makes for harmony among the believers so that all the members care for each other. And I love verse 26. He goes, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are honored with it. Instead of getting jealous, I want us to learn how to rejoice with others, how to work with others how to be the best version of ourselves. That's what this series is about. I just think God wants to do a work in a lot of our hearts. Can you imagine your life where you weren't comparing and competing, but you're just rejoicing with other people? How much better would it be? How much more joy would you have? How much more effective would we be as a church? How much less conflict would there be as a family? If that resentment was gone, we rejoiced with each other. I know there's some of you here today, you're probably convicted by this because you're seeing this behavior in your life. I want you to be a part of this experience with us as a family because I want to see God set us free from a lot of these proclivities. I want to see him unleash the power of the church, the body of Christ, finally working together. Can you imagine if as a church we got done with physical therapy and we were able to get back to work again? 
for the kingdom of God? Can you imagine what this corner of Indiana would look like, what the state would look like, what this country would look like if the body of Christians from sea to shining sea said, we're in this together, we're working together, we're for one another, we're for the community through thick and thin, we're relentlessly committed to the Great Commission? I want that for us. Enneagram matters because we're one body, one giant body. We've got to understand that. Enneagram matters because we have to learn to see ourselves. We've got to discover who we are. Enneagram matters because other people are not like us. My wife is like, thank God not everybody's like you, John. And because we've got body issues we've got to work through. I know I've never done a sermon like this one where I literally spend an entire week on the introduction, but that's what this is. I believe this is going to be one of the most practical, helpful series that I've ever done. I want to ask you to come and be a part of the whole thing. And specifically, I believe this message series is going to unleash the power of the church and healing in our relationships. And like I said, if you're on the brink of walking away from something, if you've got some dysfunction in your life, if you've got some pain and just continual misunderstanding, you love each other, but it's like every time we get together, we do this, and I don't want to, and you don't want to, but why is this happening? This is for you. I want to see the body of Christ become the body of Christ. I want to go back to work together with you as we walk into a new season together. I've been ending my messages with um, application, right? I think that's helpful. I used to just do blanks in your notes, but now I actually do application questions, which has been great because you guys actually take the notes home now, which is kind of cool. But I want to challenge you to have a meaningful discussion with your family. And specifically, I want to give a challenge to the men in the room who are the anointed leaders of your families. God gave you a special mantle. I want you to walk in it. I want to challenge you to lead your families in this. Ladies, if they won't do it, help them, encourage them, or do it yourself. But um, four questions to walk through. Number one, do you think... God's body, the church, is working well. Why or why not? And I'd encourage you to pull your children in on this, right? You got children, eight, nine, 10 years old, pull them in. Have a discussion with them. Help them come up with answers. Work with them on this. Number two, do you know your specific role, calling, and temperament for God's mission in your life? I think one of the most important conversations of my life was the one I shared with you. When my dad came into my bedroom, and help me discover my gifts in an encouraging, loving way. And here's a critical part. He cultivated a relationship with me for years so that he had a platform to speak in my life. And he also had the audacity to lead me into a life that was different and divergent from what his dreams were. And I think it's so easy for me to tell my son, like, you're going to be a pastor and you're going to serve the church and da 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 But that's not what I want to do. It's not my mission as a father. My mission as a father is to cultivate him in his own giftedness so he can become all that God intends for him to be. I just want to challenge you to have that discussion with your family. Parents, it is your job. The Bible talks about how our children are like arrows, and it's our job to shoot them at the target, which I believe is a loving relationship with Jesus in a context where they're able to live out their gifts. But families in the room, how are you shaping and preparing your children to walk into and discover their giftedness? I want you to have an intentional conversation. Number three, in what ways have you struggled with envy regarding other Christians? You guys, if you want to have authentic relationships, you got to get vulnerable. Don't be like, oh, yeah, you know, 35 years ago, I struggled once with envy. Stop it. You know, what if you got a little bit honest and said, hey, yeah, I mean, I envy your uncle, you know, and, and I want to ask for some, some accountability in this. You know, I'd like you, I'd, I just want to get real with you. I want you to see this in my life. I want you to see it, and, and I want you to know I struggle with sin just like you do, right? I mean, what would that open up, especially if the leaders of families actually modeled what that looked like? And then finally, this is a big one. How can you bring healing to other parts of the body rather than tripping it up? This is so big. You know, 
we had some stuff going down on Facebook um, in, in the latter parts of this week. And uh, there was a part of me that was like, I'm so mad. I'm just going to type up all these great sarcastic responses that are going to burn you and own you. And I'm a keyboard warrior and I can do it. I, the tiger, I'm going to, you know. And then I deleted all those responses and I called Cooper and said, what can we do to bring healing to this situation? I know some of you have some situations in your life. Listen, God is a God of grace, second chances, and forgiveness. And I just really want you to have a discussion. How can we be a family of grace, second chances, and forgiveness? What can we do that brings healing to our body, to our community, rather than getting revenge? Because remember, if you get them back, it's the right arm stabbing the left arm. And that doesn't make a ton of sense, does it? We're all in this together. We're one team, one dream. I hope you guys have productive discussions. I hope you come back in future weeks. As we close, I want to ask you to stand. And uh, I'd like to have a time of prayer with our church. Jesus, we just dedicate these next four weeks after this one to you. I ask that you would move powerfully amongst us. I ask that you would bring healing to broken relationships. I ask that you would empower Christians and people in this church to live out your great calling in our lives. I ask that you give us insight, empathy, and compassion for all the members of your body. And I ask that you would unleash a wave of revival for Indiana through thick and thin. You're a good God. We love you. We thank you for your faithfulness. It's in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. All God's people said amen and amen. The band is going to lead us in one more song. Let's sing this together.